and welcome to this End of Life Season 3, Episode 21. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about bringing new guests who are helping others to live and thrive with endometriosis. Today I'm talking to Corey Smith about his experience of endometriosis as a trans man and how we can make the endometriosis community a safer, more supportive place for transgender and non-binary people and others who do not identify as cis female with endometriosis. But before we get started, a big, big shout out to Jane Braxton and Kelly Marie, who are both now endo friends of the podcast after donating and supporting this endo life through Patreon. Guys, I cannot thank you enough. My heart and soul goes into this show and this endo life and for you to honor that work and passion through donating because you believe what I do is useful. It's like it's really emotional for me and yeah, it means more to me than I can put into words. So huge thank you to you guys. Um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I have set up a Patreon page where you can support this endo life to keep going. It costs both time and money to create the free podcast and content I put out into the world. And because I'm so niche, getting sponsorship isn't easy. So if you are able to keep, so if you are able and you like what I do, you can help keep the show running by donating whatever you can afford through Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com forward slash this endo life. And I'll also put a link um, in the show notes. Thank you to all of you for listening and um, for being part of this journey. And to anyone who can donate, I'm so grateful from the bottom of my heart. Um, together we can keep um, this endo life going and reach as many people as possible. Finally, this episode and this endo life intro music was edited and produced by The Pod Farm podcast editing services for new and established podcasts. Visit thepodfarm.com to find out more about their services and how they can help you grow your podcast from just an idea to a polished and successful show. So back to Corey. You might recognize Corey from his one in 10 picture that he shared as part of the endometriosis month campaign that was launched by the lovely ladies over at the endo coalition. Um, Corey is a transgender man who is currently launching a pretty big lawsuit against a pretty big American medical institute for discrimination. Um, discrimination, um, I'm saying that on a very basic level, Corey obviously goes into the story in much more detail. Um, Corey has endometriosis and his story of how he was treated as a woman versus how he was treated as a trans man is unbelievably shocking. Like it's, um, I have to say that what Corey went through was um, quite distressing to listen to. So I want to give a trigger warning here that... Um, Corey did go through some traumatic medical procedures um, and abuse from medical professionals. So if you do um, feel like you might be triggered by these subjects, then um, you might want to forward through those moments and you'll know when they're coming because of the questions I ask. Um, I speak to Corey about the ways in which trans and non-binary people are treated with endometriosis um, versus cis females and why he decided to be brave and sue the medical institute and that discriminated against him and treated him so poorly, and how we can make our support services and community more inclusive. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to Corey. In fact, we spoke for so long, we were on we were on the call for like just under two hours. So it is a really long one, but um, I've obviously edited it down a lot since um, then. But it's so worth listening to. So even if you have to pause it and finish it in three takes, um, it's just, yeah, it's such an enlightening conversation. Um, Corey is doing incredible and courageous work for the community. In the show notes, I've listed ways that you can help Corey on his mission. Um, so you can pull up the notes on your phone 
if you're interested or you can get them directly off my website um yeah also <laughs> i said to him i was gonna quote this um Corey said that this interview was the first interview he gave so you might have read a few um interviews in the papers um with Corey, but apparently i was the first one so yeah you heard it here first um so anyway i really hope you find this conversation as enlightening as i did and um yeah loved Corey. he's doing amazing work here he is so before we get into your story i thought it would be really helpful for our listeners um to kind of get a better understanding um of endometriosis and the various people it can affect so I know a lot like obviously the language surrounding endometriosis is very like female orientated and I expect there's still some confusion around that. So can you explain to our listeners the ways in which you can have endo, but you can be a man or genderless or not cis female? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically if you were born female or assigned female at birth, you could have the reproductive organs, which could have the same one in 10 possibility you know, of a number of problems such as endometriosis. So I can't personally speak for the genderless or gender nonconforming, but I can say that there are states in the U.S. already allowing a, you know, a third gender, which is a non-binary option on licenses. So that's, that's moving forward. Um, but basically, you know, if you've got those reproductive organs, whether you're someone who ends up transitioning and you're a man, or you are gender nonconforming, you can still have endometriosis. Right. And if you, so if you were a transgender man, is there any point at which endometriosis, I guess not, because even if they did a full hysterectomy, endometriosis can exist in anyone. So there's not really, you would have the same chances of not having, of like, removing and yeah, no coming cure. yeah so it's never gone it doesn't the testosterone wouldn't change anything right i mean for me it 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 can like it can minimize it and it can you know decrease uh some of those problems or like at least slow it down is what i found um for me that's what it did you know for the first eight months of being on testosterone for me i was great uh, I felt, you know, the best I ever did in my life, to be honest. I had more energy. Um, my body didn't hurt as much, actually, at all. I had way less pain. And I was somebody that used to have to be on, you know, fentanyl patches. It was that bad, 24-7. Um, and then eight months in, I started having bleeding again, started having pain again, and I realized, you know, the endometriosis was definitely back. So it wasn't like it just went away. It, mm. Unfortunately, it just kind of slowed it down. So let's get into your story then, as we've kind of touched upon that. How did your experience of endometriosis start? Yeah, um, I first had a cyst burst at about 13 years old. So after I had, you know, gotten my period, mm -hmm. you know, a few a few times, uh, I assume it kind of like my hormones must have built up a little bit after a few months. And then I had my first dispersed and at that, that was awful. That was an awful experience. It really does feel like a, like a bomb goes off inside your body. Um, 
for me, it was all, I was blinded actually temporarily because the pain was so bad. I remember I was 13. I was standing in, I was in my room and my mom was down the hallway in her bedroom and I was home from school that day. Thank God. <laughs> well, I was home from school that day because I wasn't feeling well um, the night before and the same day. And then I ended up like getting up to like go to the bathroom or something. And I remember just instant pain. It felt like, yeah, it just felt like a bomb went off inside of my stomach and like my lower abdomen. And there was pain like shooting down my legs and I collapsed immediately. So I collapsed and then uh, started just like dragging myself to my mom and she ended up taking me to the emergency room. But by that point in time, we ended up learning that um, even an ultrasound may not you know, pick up a burst disc that may not show up. So there was really no evidence of what exactly is going on. We just know that here I am, I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, they kind of just give you pain meds, clear it up, and you, they send you off again. Right. So you got sent home. Yeah, I got sent home, and it all kind of started there. Then I, after that, they ended up uh, having me sent to an OBGYN, like, pediatric specialist, because someone who dealt with someone who was, you know, younger. So I started seeing a pediatric OBGYN at about, you know, 13, 14. And honestly, at first she, and I actually heard other people tell similar stories, but at first they tried telling me that I was depressed. Like she thought, she just thought I was depressed and I was just, you know, just having bad, bad periods. And I was telling her, I was pretty adamant about the fact that, no, it was much further than that. They ended up making me go be a pain therapist and you know a psychiatrist to kind wow. of prove to prove the level of pain that I was in um, and prove that it was real and that it really was debilitating so I had to yeah actually go to a therapist for that just to and then I I they started me on birth control pills at about that time um, but for me it didn't really lighten things up at all how old were you when they gave you birth control pills um, 14. 15. This is all quite young for you, really, isn't it? Like it happened quite quickly. Yeah, it quickly. was really young. Yeah, it was right away. Like pretty much immediate to when I started getting my periods, it was, you know, right off, right away. So, um, but at first, you know, we didn't know what endometriosis was. So at that point in time, we had no idea what was going on. Um, we didn't even know if it was, you know, related to the reproductive organs. But basically, that's what we ended up starting to put it together ourselves because the doctors couldn't. Um, what I ended up, you know, we ended up going monthly to the emergency room from the age of like 15 to 16. So when I was 15 to 16, it was truly a monthly thing. And I ended up um, kind of documenting that it had a pattern. So we, after all the CAT scans, ultrasounds, GI track workups. I mean, they, they really did it all. So I was sick all the time. We ended up researching it online and finding out that, you know, endometriosis existed. And I thought, wow, that sounds exactly like what I'm going through, the pain that they describe and everything. So I thought it's got to be reproductive organ related. So I pushed for my, um, for my doctor to, do an exploratory laparoscopy. And 
actually they refused at first. They were like, no, I don't think you have endometriosis. Like they really didn't believe me. And, um, and we, we pushed, we really pushed back and they ended up having us sign all of these, me and my parents sign, you know, liability consent forms saying, you know, that this wasn't their idea. It was our idea to, you know, do this exploratory surgery. Well, that's pretty drastic. It really was. They, it was weird. Do you think it was because of your age? Probably. Mm. Yeah. But also at this time, they were having me on, you know, birth control pills. They were trying the shots, the birth control shots. They were doing IUDs. I mean, we did, you know, we did Lupron. That was awful. So, well, that was later. But yeah, I mean, so anyway, they, we pushed for the surgery. They ended up doing this uh, exploratory laparoscopy. I end up waking up from the surgery and she's by my side and she goes, so we just took out your appendix. And I was like, what? Okay. I started like, I started freaking out and I was still, you know, coming out of the medication and everything. And I was in a ton of pain. Like it was awful. And I ended up finding out, okay, well, I was in all that pain because she says that they removed my appendix that it would it was adhered to my abdomen wall um, and that there were in fact you know numerous endometrial growth that they're now gonna biopsy and send off that she knows that you know that looks like endometriosis and they about um, the first time about 25 growth or spots that they took off wow yeah and they found at that age as well. That's crazy. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And that well, that was about yeah sixteen at that point, sixteen, seventeen. So was that, and that was your first one? Did you have more after that? Yeah. So then after that, in about in total, I ended up having five laparoscopies that were to remove endometrial growth, and that was all prior to transitioning. So if you don't mind me asking, how, how old are you now? 27. Gosh, so you've had, you've had a lot of laps, like very frequently, really. Yeah, so all of that went on, you know, that was really all just the beginning, um, to be honest with you. And then once they, you know, diagnosed me with endometriosis after that first surgery, yeah, it was just kind of um, pain all the time. It was the, it was basically just constantly recovering from my own, you know, periods and and pain i was i would bleed for about three weeks out of the month um and that was pretty constant i was like anemic all the time um yeah i was fatigued felt sick um you know throwing up all the time (laughs) yeah that's a lot to be going through at that age yeah so you said that was your experience prior to transitioning so when did your like when did your transition begin? Like how many years later and what, and how does being transgender and that transition, how does that affect your experience of endometriosis? Yeah. Um, well, at first my, you know, my doctor, she was extremely supportive. She was great. I, I actually ended up coming out to her and said, you know, I'm a man. Like I, I know it for a fact and I want to, you know, I want to transition. And I was really scared to tell her, to be honest with you. And she was, it was funny. She just, she just looks at me and she goes, Corey, I know. And I was like, 
And I was like, I joke, I jokingly, but kind of seriously said, oh my God, why didn't you tell me? Because here I have been stressing about this and, you know, it's been a battle in my mind. Like, am I real? Like, is this real? You know, do I have to, do I have to go through all of this just to like be who I am? And, um, it's a really tough decision too. like it for a lot of people. We say it's kind of, you know, life or death. And when he, when he comes down to it, cause you just don't feel, you just know you're not female you just know that you're not this body that you're stuck in. And, uh, but yeah, so I, I told her she was open about it. Cool about it. Everything was, was great actually, because the testosterone at first, really did help to minimize things. I got to, you know, go off the birth control pills, go off the progesterone. Um, you know, like I said, never doing Lupron ever again. I mean, I don't know for other women, it might be other women or men, it might be helpful, but for me, it was, um, a pretty bad experience. Mm, I've heard it's had, it's got like quite a lot of side effects. Um, and I guess it's weighing up like which side effects you, can deal with like can you deal with your endometriosis like symptoms or or like the lupron like side effects like which ones do you want to battle that's kind of what it was it was like weighing it out like and um for me for whatever reason the lupron even though it was supposed to be um a shot that lasted for months for me i don't know if my uh, metabolism was really fast but it went through me within about three weeks it was out of my body and it was really odd actually my doctors found that um really surprisingly almost wanted to kind of like research it like what's that about um but then once i once i went on testosterone though yeah that helped and but then about eight months in i started bleeding again so um once I started bleeding again, I started having pain again. It started affecting my job. Like I was, I mean, I had my doctor, uh, you know, my dad would come and pick me up from work and carry me to the doctor, uh, to the urgent care, to the emergency room. And that's when I knew, all right, I've got to get a hysterectomy. And, you know, to be honest, they had been telling me since I was about, you know, 15 that I should get a hysterectomy, but I knew that I wanted my own children one day so I really wanted to hold that out for me it was worth it and I did know the research that even if you got a hysterectomy it wouldn't necessarily you know cure you of endometriosis so for me it was worth suffering through it if it meant I might have kids so but at that point in time I ended up deciding I'm gonna um, with help from my parents to help pay for it it was quite expensive but we went through this process of doing an egg retrieval and then after the egg retrieval, I had it planned about a week and a half, two weeks later to have my hysterectomy with my doctor set up. So it was all planned out, just do it all in a row. And uh, hopefully I'd be, I'd be done with it and kind of almost fully transitioned at that point. Right. So then you now I know that you're fighting a lawsuit against quite a I mean obviously I'm, I'm not in America so I don't fully know but it's quite a big hospital isn't it like yeah it's <laughs> it's pretty crazy I sometimes I'm just like oh my gosh you're Corey you're out loud I just say to myself you're suing a hospital you're suing a medical center you're and it's not just the medical center it's a university medical center so they are a 
hospital. They are a, there are numerous hospitals, actually a grouping of them. It's a medical center, which also has numerous urgent care facilities, medical facilities, doctor's offices, all different specialists. You know, they are branched out all over upstate New York and they have had numerous issues with trans people and the way that they speak to us, the way that they treat us. Oh, really? So you're not the only one? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've heard horror stories and many of us, you know, if we're not, if we're not completely comfortable with ourselves or, you know, trans people are all over the map on their journey and all over, you know, during their transition and maybe they're not passing just yet. And what I mean by passing to listeners that maybe don't know what I'm talking about, um, like your passing is the gender that you really are. So if you're, you know, female to male, like I am, then, you know, passing would be the term that I'm, you, you truly look male. There's no, you know, there's no guessing about it. It's just people finally recognize you as male and take you as that. And that's what you would like. So if anyone like um, went onto your Instagram after this or something, like you're fully transitioned. Yes, I look completely male. Yep. Yeah, there would be no doubt about it. So that's so if someone wasn't yet passing, then that just means like Yeah. And there might be some hesitation of like, okay, is this is this person like female? Are they male? You know, they might not be totally sure yet. Or maybe someone's, you know, pre top surgery, you know, maybe they haven't had um a double mastectomy yet. And some trans people or gender nonconforming people, they choose not to have surgeries at all. You know, some of us choose not to have any surgeries and that's totally fine as well and that's on the map as well and so it's it's kind of like we just need to be respected as people and there have been yeah numerous situations where they have misgendered me where they've changed in my paperwork my official paperwork even though my birth certificate says male my license says male and I'm working on getting my passport, which will also say male. And so it's like, if everything says male, why is your doctor system still printing a label that says female on my paperwork? Because do you know the confusion that that causes when, and the bias that that causes in a doctor's mind when they see that on the page or they see that on my bracelet and then they look at me and they're like, oh, but you're a man. And then they're like, wait, but why does it say female? And then it raises these questions. And then if doctors haven't, which I find crazy, but if you have an experience, you know, being around a trans person, a transgender and nonconforming person just yet, then they sometimes don't know how to handle themselves and they don't know how to properly speak to us. And they can be degrading. They can make us feel extremely uncomfortable, awkward. Um, there have been situations where doctors have asked, um, you know, someone's disclosed with me, in my city here that there have been doctors that have asked to actually inspect the person's genitals to prove to prove whether or not they are male or female because they just want to clear it up on the paperwork. And that's inappropriate and, and not necessary. And so I really hope that to the people that that's happened to, I hope they have the strength and the courage to advocate for themselves and say no to those doctors because Sometimes doctors can make it feel very official and make it feel like you do you have to do you know you have to do what they're telling you to do and sometimes it puts you in this feeling like oh am I supposed to but no 
The answer is no, you do not need to do that. And in, in my case, um, I mean, if you want me to get into like my actual, cause I don't want to just speak on other people's issues. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, as long as you're comfortable with going there. Yeah. Yeah. I could get into it. Um, basically what happened with me was right after I had the eggs retrieved, I ended up having a, you know, it was supposed to be like the happiest moment of my life, to be honest with you. I had been told you know, to give you a little bit of background. I was, you know, told that I may not ever be able to have children, you know, from a really young age. And hysterectomy was always, you know, on the table and on the back burner. And um, I never really knew if it was going to be possible. And so here we knew it was a total rescue mission. And it was kind of a cool experience for the, you know, the medical center as well. Like I went to a strong, um, strong fertility center. And for them, I was one of the first trans men that did an egg retrieval so it was an exciting time and they weren't sure if we'd be able to retrieve anything but we ended up getting 14 eggs out of it so 14 viable eggs which is extremely exciting for me is that a lot because i don't really um understand like the egg for me like i think that's a i'd say that's a lot um because some people will go in and they'll you know they'll only be able to get like five viable eggs or um, originally I think they pulled, originally I was able to grow 17, but three of them didn't, I know three of them didn't make it. So it was like 14, but from what the doctor said, that was a decent amount. Um, cause then the probability from there is about half of them will essentially make it. If I was to like throw them all in, you know, and try yeah, about half of them could actually work probability wise. Wow. So that's a good number. That is a good number. I mean, that could leave me with seven, you know, in my mind, seven to 14 possible children. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to have seven, but, (laughs) but anyway, yeah. So I was, you know, it was supposed to be like this exciting time for me. And unfortunately I never really got to have any of that excitement or happiness because from the moment after my egg retrieval, I started going downhill and having what I didn't know at the time was um, a really bad complication hypercystic ovarian syndrome and all i know is that, you know hypercystic ovarian system oh my gosh <laughs> can you repeat hypercystic ovarian syndrome okay and what's hypercystic just crazy amounts of cysts yes so literally overnight if i could map it out for you like so there was the day that i had the surgery for the egg retrieval and then Normally, people can go back to work the next day, to put it in perspective. Normally, they go back to work the next day. And instead, for me, I was having more and more pain. I was like bent. I was like hunched over. Um, By the second day, I was curled up in the fetal position. And it felt, so yeah, like about 48 hours after, I felt like I had about a 50-pound rock in my stomach. And I could not move. It was holding down. It was nuts. And it hurt so bad. It was extru- it was extremely painful. I can't explain. And so that's when I knew, like, yeah, my abdomen was rigid. It looked like there was a stone in there. Uh, I was bright red, just everywhere. Just everything hurt. Um, and so i i called the I called the doctor's office. And at first, honestly, they at first they thought that I was just asking for more pain medication. And I was like, no, no, no. This I think it's more than that. I think something's seriously wrong here. And 
like, okay, go to the emergency, like go to the emergency room. So, so I went to the emergency room, the closest one to my house, which is just right down the street. And so I go to this hospital and as soon as I get there on intake, they, they really, they triaged me and they put me last on the list. I don't know why. I think it's because I was trans. Um, as soon as on intake, I, I gave them my license. It said male. It said Corey. Um, and they wrote me down as my prior female name. And they put me down as female. How did they get that confused? Was it because you're registered with that hospital? So it came up in the system? Technically, yes. Yes. But the law is that as soon as you give them the license, that state's mail, then it gets scanned at that moment at any doctor's office. And this goes for anybody here in New York, at least, and in a lot of states. Um, as soon as you provide the documentation, like a license that says mail, they're supposed to scan it immediately into the system. And from that moment forward, that's the new, that's what it is. Mm, yeah. You know, it's Corey Smith and it's mail. And that's the way it's supposed to go. And Technically, even further than that, New York state law says that even if I, let's say I didn't even have my documentation yet, let's say I was pre really doing any transitioning at all. And let's say I went in there and I said to a doctor, I'm a male, my name's a doctor has to refer to you as that from that moment forward. As soon as you say it, they have to, that's law. And did not do that at all. Sorry, they did not do that at all. And I, in fact, did have the documentation and they still referred to me as female. It caused a lot of confusion. They wrote down in my paperwork, you know, female to male, transgender person. Um, and they thought that I was there trying to get, um, I, they, they basically thought that I was trying to use it as a crutch to transition. They thought that I was using this situation to essentially try to transition. And that's what this one doctor said to me. He said, I, I don't want to aid your transition. But then if you had your hysterectomy booked, right? Already. That's why I know that I have them in this lawsuit, basically, because overall, at the end all be all, I came in there into the hospital telling them openly you know, I'm male. My name's Corey. I just had an egg retrieval two days ago, and I have a history of endometriosis, you know, an extensive history of surgeries and endometriosis. Um, so, you know, I think this really needs to be taken seriously. They ended up doing an ultrasound at first on the outside. Um, they did an ultrasound, and they, at first, the technician said, I can't even find even find your ovaries and then he goes oh my gosh that's because they're so big this is your ovary this is your whole ovary so he ended up realizing that my ovaries were about the size of grapefruits and they were full of cysts so within 48 hours they just they just grew like crazy and so at that point um they and there was ovarian torsion happening as well so it's excruciating um and ovarian torsion if people don't know you know it starts cutting off blood supply mm. You know, imagine your foot falling asleep or your leg being asleep for a really long time and then that pins and needle feeling and that burning. Of, I'm talking the really, really bad kind where you almost can't even step down if it hurts so bad. That, but inside your stomach. <laughs> it's, he wanted to tear it out 
And uh, that is all I wanted them to do because it was so painful. And, um, essentially, they, they knew what they had to do. It was, it was documented that my hysterectomy was booked for two weeks out and should have been a pretty clean cut decision. I feel like it may, if anything, it should have made the, the decision easier for the doctor. You know, normally what's their average patient, their average OBGYN patient, you know, coming into their hospital with these exact problems, it's going to most likely be a, you know, a female patient and Normally, it would be a situation where I feel a doctor would have to be like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry, but, you know, we may have to remove an ovary or we may have to do this and we have to do a hysterectomy to fix. And normally that could be an upsetting time. For me, instead, it was easy. It was something that was already to be done. So cut the pain, get it over with and, you know, just do it all, all. And it's all within the same medical facility. They should have all had the same information. It should have been pretty easy but this doctor said to, this doctor referred to me as it they and she did not ever once call me he him never once so just completely refused refused and said, i will not, i will not aid your transition i will not help you become a man and i said you're i'm already a man i don't need you this isn't for that this is because i'm an endometriosis patient and i'm having complications and I need you to save me. Serious complications as well, you know. Yeah, it was pretty. It was really bad. I mean, I was in. I was screaming, and um, honestly, he left me in a room for six hours, uh, just screaming in pain. Wouldn't give me pain medication. It is written in my file. Like he wanted me to suffer, and it's written in my medical file that a nurse, her words exactly, um, entered the room to find the patient. Um, you know, Smith curled up in the fetal position, uh, screaming in pain, writhing in pain, crying in the fetal position, requesting help and more pain medication, tried to get him some doctor advised not to administer pain medication. It's in my mind. Did he say on what grounds? No, he just, he believed that this was a, co he kept referring to it as a cosmetic surgery. So did he think you were faking it, even though they could see the size of your cysts? Uh-huh, I, I really do. I really think he thought I was like using it as a crutch and he, he didn't want it. He felt, he truly morally, morally, ethically, this man believed that he was going to be the surgeon, the one, like he was God turning me into a man and to him. He didn't want to live with that. He stated that clearly. And that's insane because this had nothing to do with that. I wasn't, a, this wasn't a trans related surgery. This was a endometriosis, um, you know, reproductive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Completely. And, and he should have just treated it as such. And he made a huge mistake and it's, it's all documented. And um, basically my, the main question of, of my lawsuit is did the hospital did they or did they not give me different or worse care based on my trans status and they will not be able to answer no i can't see how i can't see how they could say no i don't know enough about the situation but just to give an example if you think about um, Lena Dunham went into uh, if you re if I don't know if you've read her article in Vogue 
um, about her decision to have a hysterectomy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So obviously she she went in um, to her hospital and refused to leave until they did a hysterectomy. And obviously, like, they left it, I think, I can't remember if it was, like, four days or something. Do you remember? Like, because they wanted to... Yeah, remember, but, yeah, it was a few days. Yeah, they wanted to make sure that she was 100%, like, sure. But they gave her all of the right treatment, all of the right pain medication. They were very, very supportive and they agreed to do to do that because she was in so much pain. And she was like, I can't leave until you remove this. And that's essentially what you've gone and done. But she got the hysterectomy, you know, and it's exactly like you guys might have had different um, like medical issues going on at that time. But it was, you know, similar and related. And she got the outcome that you you didn't. And and what ended up having to happen, actually, is just it gets even crazier. So that was just the, you know, that was just the beginning. And he. What ended up happening was after that, you know, six hours of screaming in pain. I mean, for real, I was yelling. I sounded like uh, it, it sounded like someone was like sawing my leg off in there. Um, and I and they, my girlfriend at the time, ended up running up and down the hallway and saying to the nurses, "If you do not get a doctor in here to help him and take his pain seriously, if you do not get somebody in here right now, I will walk up and down every hallway and I will find him." And she was not playing. She was fierce in that moment because she just had had it. You know, we had witnesses. We had my parents there. She was there. And the nurses outside of my room were at the nurse station and they kept, and it's in my lawsuit, and they kept joking out loud like, oh, it won't stop screaming and it won't stop. Are you joking? No. And it was just, they were laughing in the hallway at me and I was crying. I was crying so much. Like I was not just from pain, but just from honestly emotional distress as well, because it was just like, wow, I'm not even being treated like a human being right now. Like I can't believe all because I'm trans. Like I've been here before. You guys have treated me before, but now I look different. So I'm treated like this. You know, I used to go to that hospital. They used to treat me like it it didn't make any sense, but I could see, I could see night and day. And that's how I know it's discrimination because I'm trans because I was there as a female and I never had experiences like that. And now I'm, you know, a, a documented trans male. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm, you know, plagued. And, and so ended, what ended up happening is after she walked up and down the hallway and found, she did, she in fact found him. She made him come into the room and he ended up saying that, um, fine, he'll do the surgery. He'll do the surgery if he can do an intravaginal ultrasound, which we said, absolutely not. That's unnecessary. You, you already know, the, you already know the diagnosis. You already know the problem. Like it was in my file that you couldn't even put like a finger inside of me. Like they couldn't even do normal, you know, exams on me because of the pain that I had. So they knew, yeah. And, and what was his reasoning to do that? Um, he, I, he wanted to torture me and make a fool of me because what ended up happening was he, in, he forced me to, he because I. I said, well, I need this surgery. So please, please do the surgery. Um, like, get this out of me. Like I'm in so much pain. Just get these out of me. And, um, and he said, no, I'm going to do an intravaginal ultrasound just to make sure. Um, it's really actually, you know, and we told him that's completely unnecessary. The people in the emergency room already did this. 
I really, you cannot put something in me right now. I am in so much pain. Please do not do this to me. Please do not do this to me. Um, and he ended up inviting his entire nursing staff and other doctors into the room and medical students. There were about eight people standing in that room staring at me. I was, mm -hmm, I was naked. I did not have a blanket. They refused to give me a blanket. This was prior to me having top surgery. This is extremely embarrassing, extremely embarrassing. Um, so there I was, you know, I had like, I had like a little beard. I had, you know, a hairy chest, a hairy stomach. And, you know, I was pre-top surgery and just everything was out in the open. And he forcibly did an intravaginal ultrasound. I screamed at them that they were not allowed in that room. I screamed at them that if I was a woman, they would have had to ask even the husband or wife if they're allowed to be in that room and present. Mm -hmm. Rule, those are the rules. And yeah, I mean, that's in the UK. It, like, if there's a student, student like nurse or doctor, they ask our permission, like if, if they can be in the room. And you have the right to say yes or no. That's what you're supposed to do. And that's normally how it works. And I know because normally in the past, and here's the thing, I was, I, I'm actually a very open person. I'm a very open um, patient. I always was on this, I was always on the side of, you know, giving doctors a chance and trying to help educate them as, as they go. So in the past, they always asked. And normally I would actually say yes to, you know, patients i mean sorry other others i would usually say yes to other students or uh, new doctors new specialists to kind of sit in and, and learn and i would try to educate them on things like that but this was such a personal matter and uh i was naked and uh didn't have a blanket uh, this was so inappropriate um i was you know screaming in pain in the fetal position he had to literally like stretch my legs out and put them you know, and like scrubs and everything. And it was just awful. And I told them all to leave. My girlfriend was screaming. Um, my girlfriend was screaming, stop, you're hurting him. Like crying hysterically. You know, this was no joke. This was pretty, it was an awful scene. I remember looking around the room and um, there were nurses, you know, laughing, covering, cover, covering their mouths, you know, laughing, joking about, about me. This was like a field trip for them. This was fun for them to to watch me suffer I just I don't really understand that mentality like even if you didn't agree with transgender if you believe that everyone should you know conform then I I can't imagine that that situation for anyone would be funny do you know what I mean like even if you didn't yeah, agree I, it's like it's how can you laugh at that? Like, it's, it's like a horrific scene in front of you, what someone's being put through. Yeah, like, I and I've gone back in my mind and I've, I've honestly wondered the same thing. Like, how was there not a single nurse that, like a single nurse or doctor that after this, you know, felt traumatized themselves? And did anyone care? Did anyone feel bad? Did anyone say this was inappropriate? Like, and no, the answer is unfortunately, no, nobody did. No one. I, I, uh, well, but to, you know, cut to it, he ended up ha after that point, he goes, Oh, I've, you know, I've got enough information now. And, and I guess we're going to have to do the surgery. So he says, I'll, I'll open you up and 
I'm going to reach in and I'm going to, I'm going to turn your ovary back over and I'm going to sew you back up. And I was like, what? You need to take it out. And I adamantly said like as my last words, like it, it I want, because I knew they had a scribe and stuff. And so I said, I want it to be known if anything goes bad in there, if anything, you know, is bad in there. I want it to be known that I want everything taken out. I have a hysterectomy on file with my doctor through your medical center. I would like everything to be taken out. Please do so. And uh, I ended up waking up from the first surgery and found out he ended up actually that ovary that he said he was just going to turn over and not remove. He ended up having to remove it. In fact, it was bad enough that he had to remove it. But he left the other ovary in the exact same condition, just left it there. So, so he didn't turn it over or anything, the other one? No, he just, no. So then I woke up still in pain from the other ovary. And um, within about 10 hours, they ended up having to do a second emergency surgery, you know, running me down to remove the second ovary, which he ended up having to do. But he was, he was mad. He didn't want to do any of it. And he said where he was from, um, you know, they don't deal with people like me. Um, It was just totally inappropriate. And I just kept thinking, like, as a doctor, how dare you? You know, as a doctor, there's an oath to, you know, protect us, to help us. And um, if there, I feel like doctors should be at the, you know, forefront of the movement for trans people in the I mean, here we are having so many surgeries, having so many medical issues, and um, you would think that they would already be on this. You would think that they would be people that we can trust and go to, and because we do, in fact, need them. And so I cannot understand how you can go into this field and feel that way about any patient, any person that comes in front of you, because that's your job. And he should have his medical license taken away. And that's one of the reasons I'm suing too. And it, you know, it it took a lot of courage, honestly, to come forward because, um, I mean, one, I don't know if you know, but once, once you file a complaint like this, it's it's public knowledge. So it's, it's out there and people can, people can read it. And here I was, I, you know, I finally transitioned. It's like, I finally, um, the man I always, I always saw myself to be, and now everyone's going to know this, you know, this background kind of story to know that, well, you're, well, you're female to male. So, it's, you know, and now they know this awfully graphic story about me. And so it, it's, it was really uh, scary to come forward. It took a lot of courage, but I knew um, it was, it was killing me now. It really was. I was just thinking in the back of my mind, like bottom line, at the very bottom of it all, um, do they deserve to get away with this? And the answer is no, they do not deserve to get away with this. And I cannot allow them to do this to anybody else. So it needs to be taken seriously. And the only way to take it seriously is by suing them and make them. Well, thank you for like being so courageous and sharing your story and doing that, you know, holding them to account because not everyone would have the, you know, the ability to do it. And that could be for whatever reason. And 
you know, that's fine. Not everyone can can move forward with these kind of things, but I'm just really grateful that you're doing that and you're supporting the community in this way because it, you know, you like you've said, you've heard stories from there and this could continue to go on. It's just like if you hear about sexual abuse and or you know of sexual abuse in a workplace or, or in a home or in a school and you don't say anything, you know? That's always kind of the way that I've tried to related to people as well as I kind of say like, well, you know, if this, if it wasn't for, you know, rape, rape victims or sexual abuse victims coming forward, then how are we going to catch the rapists? How are we going to stop them? You, you have to, you've just, so it's, un, it, it's scary and it puts us on the spot and it uh, takes a lot of courage to come forward and actually do it and just put yourself out there. But I think, in the end it'll be worth it and for the greater cause it's just I can't can't not do it can't say no is there a way that the public and the endo community can support you in this like is there any I mean is it I don't know like even if it was just messages of support to you is there anything that we can do to help you on this journey so you're not on your own oh that's so kind um honestly it's it's I've gotten yeah, I mean, if people want to reach out, absolutely. Those messages, I've got a big smile on my face right now. Um, those mm-hmm. messages mean so much to me. Um, I have about 5,000 followers on Instagram right now, which is, which is quite a bit. Um, but, and so I, they have, it's been slowly climbing and people have been following the case. So I know that you, you can definitely start to kind of follow my posts and see on Instagram, what, what is going on. Um, it is going to be in the media soon. Some reporters ended up finding it. Some reporters ended up finding it and printing my legal complaint, reached out to me, asked if I would share my story. And, uh, I did because I think that there needs to be a little bit more pressure, a little bit more fire under them to, to see that if they do not act accordingly, because the public, the public opinion and society right now, because it's 2018 and everything is out there on the internet. We can mm-hmm. support each other, like you're saying, and the public opinion is going to weigh in on this. And if they don't act accordingly, they're going to hear it. You know what I mean? I believe that the community will be there behind me. And I feel, and I hope, and you know, I hope so. And I think that it will be. And I feel like the endo community has already come to my backing and yeah, the messages of support mean, mean so much. They really do kind of keep me going. Cause I mean, I've got a lot of anxiety about this. I, it's, I lose sleep over it. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm making history here. I really am. Yeah, you totally and, are. And I'm so glad you are. Thank you. Thank you. you know, so much. Like, I hate what you've been like, what you've been through, of course, but I'm just really grateful that you are moving forward with this. Yeah, if people want to reach out, go for it. That means, means quite a bit. And we could, like, potentially, I guess, like, when the um, the media coverage comes out, we could, like, share it and stuff. Like, are you happy for us to, like, share the story yeah. and things? So that's what, that's what I figure, and that's kind of what I have been telling people that has been asking, like, how can I support you? Um, like, what can we do? I think there was somebody who, um, well, a few, a few people asked me to, 
start like a GoFundMe or something in case I needed, you know, money or help with a lawsuit. So I, I did actually start one. So I mean, I could Yay. give you that info. Yeah, I will so put that in the show notes. A little, there's a little GoFundMe going. Um, I'm not really, you know, that's not what I'm after. You know, I'm not trying to do that necessarily, but if people want, you know. But, um, and then, because I'm doing it pro se, I'm suing completely, I'm representing myself as a, as a lawyer. I wrote the entire lawsuit on my own. Oh, are you a lawyer? Um, I got, no. Oh, <laughs> no, what? I'm not. Okay. I'm, doing it pro, I'm doing it pro se. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's what makes this even crazier. It was a lot of work. That, yeah, so I think, like, so obviously supporting you, like, financially or just spreading the word is, is going to help every step of the way, really, isn't it? Yeah, and then once the, you know, once, once the media coverage comes out, I assume that they'll release a video for online as well. So I'm sure it's going to be on TV for the news station locally. But I have a feeling that right now trans topics are pretty, you know, I don't want to really reference it as up and coming in the media, but in the media, you know, trans topics are popping up more and more. Um, people are tuning, people are tuning in, people are being, you know, more and more supportive of um, LGBT issues and things like that and coming to our support. So I believe that this type of a story, you know, a trans, I can't even imagine how they're going to, you know, publish it and say it, but yeah, I mean, a man suing, Suing a hospital, a trans man suing a hospital and and medical center and university center for you know discrimination against trans people is pretty bad in this day and age. So I imagine it'll spread like wildfire once the video gets posted online, <laughs> and then people can just share it. Yeah. Let us know like when it comes out. Just send it over to me, and yeah, I'll, I'll rally the troops together. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, shared. So obviously we can support you through the ways that we've just discussed, but I'm aware that the Enter community is a very loving and supported supportive community, but I think there's obviously been a lack of understanding and um I don't know, education around endometriosis and and you know all the people it can affect because we, we're used to saying like women with endometriosis or one in 10 women. Um, so I know you and I have had this conversation on Instagram where, you know, my background of working with um, homeless young people, a lot of them were homeless because their parents couldn't accept that they were gay or they were um, transitioning or they, you know, they dressed in a way that their parents didn't want them to dress, like oh, so many issues. So back then I was really confident in my language and my understanding, but in the endo community I've become a lot more apprehensive as to how I approach the subject because in one way I don't want the women with endometriosis to feel that I'm, that I'm repeating history in the sense of like not addressing the fact that there's a lot of sexism behind this directed towards women and, you know, the fact that it is a condition that affects the female organs um, or at least what we've called the female organs, um, that that's probably why it's been neglected. Like the industry, the medical industry has a history of sexism. So I don't want to isolate, you know, cis women. But then at the same time, like we've discussed earlier in the podcast and off 
off the podcast as well, you've then got transgender or non-binary people with endometriosis as well. So I'm curious for, you know, for this endo life, like how I can improve my language. Because I said to you, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. So I'd rather speak to you directly. Um, But also I think for everyone, you know, people do want to understand and they do want to know how to be more inclusive. So can you give us like specific examples and just like your thoughts on on this issue and how we can make our language and the community more inclusive yeah definitely um and to be honest if it it puts people at ease a little bit more i myself as a man i with endometriosis i've caught myself i'm still i'm still catching myself just saying you know women and men with endometriosis Mm -hmm. i mean honestly i still say affecting women you know i honestly do it's, it's just such a common just thing to just say and it comes out and so i've even myself been kind of really making sure that i'm more inclusive in my language to make sure that it's, it's better for others too um but honestly i think it one of the best things that you can do right off the bat is just ask pronouns like uh, you know asking pronouns to somebody if you're you know if you are in the medical facility or you're in the community or you're, you're in a support service or charity or something like that, um, ask pronouns and just kind of go back to the basics and just kind of realize that men can in fact have a predominantly female disease and it's not weird. It's okay. You know, treat the men just like you would women. Um, and then a lot of times also think how it is on our end. It's not like we're not aware that this is normally a female disease and that might be shameful for someone with you know someone that's transitioning and it's really scary and uncomfortable for us to even go in the first place to an OBGYN so it's kind of like whatever you can do to make us feel a bit more comfortable and safe honestly is extremely helpful just just kind of giving us that feeling like we're just a person you know and I I kind of I I do talks in local colleges and things like that for future educators. I help uh, teachers learn how to be more inclusive in their language and um, inclusive in their classrooms and be better at, you know, noticing these signs and things like that. So, for example, like with this Indo life, like um, on my posts on like Instagram or even in my um, columns or something, I'm just trying to think of like a, a specific like phrase. I feel like I often say like um, this symptom, like insert symptom, one of many, um, is really common in women, like for women with endometriosis. So if I was to make that phrase more inclusive, would you suggest that I say for women, men and people with endometriosis or just people? Just saying people now might be the most inclusive way. And I, I've gone on, I've gone back and forth on those things in my mind as well. And, um, but I, I mean, I just feel like that if we, because if we keep saying women and men, which I also do, but if we keep saying women and men, then what about the gender non-conforming yeah, people? Yeah, exactly. and, they, and they are not included. So then it's like, we have to say, you know, people with endometriosis. And I think like maybe, and I hope I don't step on toes and I hope people take this with like respect and knowledge that like I also was there and I was 
you know, born female and I went through that whole life as well prior to transitioning and all of that. And so, but I think women, I think that maybe with this, we'll just have to kind of just see that this is the way that the world is kind of like moving forward. And if you want to be inclusive, then just start saying people, you know, and maybe that's a hard change at first there. Maybe it feels weird at first, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't take away from you being a woman with endometriosis or you being a man with endometriosis. I don't believe that that should, you know, take away from it. And, and honestly, I feel like endometriosis has, is still so misunderstood anyway in the, in the doctor world. So it's like, I, you know, there's confusion all over the place, the way, the way that I see it. Um, but I have found, and I'll be honest, like at first I was really, I really, so if I, if to give a little bit of background, like when I was younger, I never would have thought that endometriosis would be something that people could talk about it with each other. I never really thought it was going to get to that point because it just seemed so rare. And it just seemed like I didn't meet anybody who had the same problems as me. And now that the internet exists, which is and Instagram exists and these little support groups and endo communities and endo sisters and endo brothers. And it's like, I ended up finding out, you know, well, at first I was really kind of scared to come forward and say like, I'm a man with endometriosis. But so I ended up doing the one at the hashtag one in 10 and mm. did the, I, you know, I am one in 10. And that was kind of me coming out. And finally, that was kind of my first post publicly really on Instagram talking about saying that I have endometriosis. It was always kind of a private um, part of my life that only like a few friends even knew because it was such a disease. It's not really worth like so many of them just didn't understand it or couldn't wrap their head around how, you know, debilitating it can get. So it's just, I never really got too much into it. I never really shared it with too many people. Um, and then, but yeah, I came out with it and the support's been incredible actually. So I feel like, I feel like there hardly needs to be any coaching, if you will, in the community there. Everyone's been pretty understanding and, um, overall just really supportive of, of everybody, everybody else. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've seen, I've seen a change and I think that's why I wanted to address it because, people do want to make the space inclusive and supportive, but I think sometimes people just aren't sure how. And, you know, I hope I haven't offended you or anyone with my questions, but I kind of wanted to say questions that I think people want to ask, but are afraid to ask because they don't know whether they're going to cause offense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, and it, and it can be touchy and, and, you know, every trans person is completely different. You know, we're all, like different about how much we want to share, how much we want to really, you know, talk about or, or, or be open. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It can be a really touchy um, subject to get onto. And you just don't want to like, you don't want to offend anyone. And it, it's been hard that I've had to, you know, coach myself when I do my public speaking for in front of the, you know, future educators, because I have to make sure like, wow, my language matters my language really does and then they're going to remember that and carry that forward so I really try my best as well to be mindful and um and better supportive of the gender non-conforming community as well because I you know I'm not that so I can't speak on that but like I 
I want to, you know, represent them too and, and do my best to respect, you know, respect everybody and in, in, in the way that I speak. Um, yeah, I think you're, well, I think you're doing a brilliant job and I'm just so honored to have you on the podcast and willing to share your story because I appreciate that not everyone will want to share their story and that's absolutely fine. Um, so I'm really grateful for you like stepping up and talking about this and, and helping us understand and support this community better. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that. That means a lot. What finally, like last question, what advice for anyone who's listening who um, isn't cis female or maybe they're actually considering like they're, they're confused at the moment about their gender and they're not sure, um, which is obviously going to be distressing enough, but then they also have endometriosis. What kind of advice would you give people who are experiencing this? Who's experiencing this? So what kind of advice would I give for anyone that's like, not this female with endometriosis. Yeah. Like, yeah. Who's yeah. having to like deal with, you know, doctors and discrimination and confusion mm-hmm. when people hear that they have endometriosis. Yeah. Um, first I would definitely say to, you can, there are doctor rating sites. So I don't know if you guys have them in the, in like the UK, I don't but think we have, so. yeah, we oh, have like medical doctor like rating sites. So you can, look up doctors in your area that are certain specialists or something like that. And Mm. you can actually see the grades that patients give them. And so that's what I did. I looked, I looked for the best I wanted to find. I wanted, and I looked through the reviews and I looked through the comments and I tried to see, you know, is this person open-minded? Is this per, does this person seem inclusive? Like the likelihood of me finding a comment of someone being trans and saying that, not necessarily highly unlikely. I didn't find anybody, but I could at least find people that were saying, you know, this doctor, um, you know, is really open or really helpful or, you know, that's what you kind of want to look for because sometimes these doctors, like my first doctor, she was extremely adamant about the fact that I did not have endometriosis, even though I did in fact have endometriosis. And the irony of it all was her boss is, was the lead at that time of the endometriosis, like association of America. (laughs) And, and she did not like, so point is sometimes doctors can be a little bit, um, know it all or they, they don't want to admit that the patient could in fact, know something that they don't know yeah yeah. and it's you're like stepping on their a doctor's feelings sometimes and it's like gee should it, it shouldn't be that way first of all um you know we all are on the same side here we're just trying to find an answer we just want to know what's wrong with us and um so i mean i would say to search for doctors that are more open-minded um look for specialists that either work in pelvic pain specifically, or if they, in fact, you know, deal with endometriosis, even better. And then I would also suggest to reach out to people on Instagram, you know, the endo sisters and the brothers, the support pages. Um, you know, when I was younger, again, I, I never thought I would see the day. And now I can just follow these support pages and just see some really great posts that just really hit home to me. And honestly, the best part about it is I could be having like the worst morning. I could be like in a ton of pain, right? But I read a post where someone else is saying that it's happening to them right now. Or I see a meme on Nenda's support page, you know, like making a joke about, 
you know, comfy, it's a comfy clothes day or something like that. And like, those just cheer you up. They just make you feel better and in a different way, you know, it makes you feel like, wow. And, you know, and I, and I also, you know, I had a photo shoot with Georgie Wildman. If you've been following endometriosis project that she's been doing, and funny brought up Lena Dunham because she's going to be shooting Lena Dunham in the same series that she shot of me. And it's going to be, I know I can't wait. I really cannot. Her work is beautiful. It is. She's amazing. And oh my gosh, as soon as we met, as soon as we met, we hit it off. Like we snapped, like we've known each other our whole lives, you know, and we had the exact same story. It was insane. Like we both as teenagers growing up, you know, had the exact same problems, like the fatigue, the everything, the missing school, the you know, the losing weight, the not being able to eat for like an entire year, like eating soup broth you know, crazy, just little stories like that, that Mm -hmm. just, she just looked at me and was like, I've just never had like anybody say they have the, like, it's like looking in a mirror. It's, you know, but it was so cool because like, here I am, I'm a man in front of her with, again, a female, you know, what's known as a female disease. So like, here we are connecting and it's just, you know, there was nothing weird about it. She made me feel so comfortable and that's all that's the best advice I give to everybody. It's just like, we're all just people, you know? Yeah. And um, we're all in it together. We're all, we all can feel each other's pain and can go through, you know, the same and similar struggles. Yeah. I'm so glad that you connected with Georgie like that. And I can't wait to see the pictures. I'm sure they're going to be like beautiful because her work is just amazing. I know. I really can't wait. I'm super excited. Do you know when they're going to be released? I have, I do not know yet. I do not know. Cool. We'll keep our eye out. I don't know how much is because I know that Georgie's been like a bit, you know, a bit up and down in her health right now as well. Yeah, yeah. In her battle right now with endo, and um, so I'm sure it's it's difficult, and uh, and and yeah, but I'm sure she's you know putting it together and then we'll release it. But I know the Lena thing is going to be soon. That's very cool. Well, she's shooting. Yeah. Not released necessarily soon, but yeah. But yeah, I think you're, you know, you're totally right. Just this support and sharing more so others can like relate and connect. Also just find different types of support. Like I feel like there's something out there for everyone at the moment in terms of like accounts and websites and just different platforms. Like if you have a particular way that you find comfort or relief, um, there seems to be something for you. And I think that's just such a beautiful thing about the Ento community. They've, we've all stood up and kind of created what we need that's missing for us do you know what I mean yeah yeah no that's that's the perfect way of describing it honestly because yeah it's like how many of us um you know all went through similar battles of either misdiagnoses or you know not being able to figure out what's wrong truly years of suffering and surgeries pain meds and all of this and it's like how many times were we made to feel like we were crazy, truly crazy, truly making up mm-hmm. the pain almost. Yeah. Like how many times did we feel like that? And how many times did doctors, you know, not take us seriously or, you know, just not be able to help enough. And so, yeah, we really filled in the gap and we were like, we're going to make, you know, everybody just made and created what we needed. You're absolutely right. And cool to see that we can just I mean you are in London right now and I'm you know sitting in New York so 
Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an awful disease to have, but an amazing community to be a part of. I think that's definitely yeah. what I've got out of it. And a quote that I've always has always stuck in my mind, and honestly, every time that I'm like kind of in a ton of pain, um, hunched over, I, you know, I sometimes I go there and I think about the end of community. And I think to myself the words that um, struggle breeds compassion, and it's so true. Like just passion and that's everything that you know we go through and I feel like it makes us such more amazing people I feel like we're just so much because I know for me after everything I went through I, I laid in bed so many years that I was just truly laying in bed and I remember it was because I just was waiting to feel better you know I just kept waiting you know I'm gonna do that do that when I when I feel better and I you know I put off college I put off you know things I wanted to do I put off my transition because of you know endometriosis and everything that I kind of like was going through at that time and then finally I was I just said well what if I never do feel better and that was the realization of that is endo you know what if you never do um feel better so you just kind of get out there and try to live and I think that the endo community has done just a fabulous job at making you feel supported making you feel like you know what you you live in the way that you need to you know there are days where you can have a a mental day or a physical day and you if you have to take a break you know how many times do we have to <laughs> reschedule this call because it's like it's, I mean so geez, there should be a joke about trying to get two endo people together <laughs> it's yeah. just, something will you know something will come up because we're just always you know um but thank you so much for being on and yeah like you said like we got there in the end and I think it's the fourth attempt but we're here um so yeah, it's just been an honor to have you on and I feel so privileged that you shared your story with us and yeah, thank you for all you're doing and I wish you the best of luck with your lawsuit and please just let us know when we can support you and um, as I mentioned, I'll put the links in in the show notes to your, um, is it the Go, GoFundMe, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I can get you a, uh, yeah, a link for that, absolutely. And yeah, if people just want to, you know, just support me on, on Instagram. I'm there. Uh, yeah, what's your Instagram handle for anyone who... Yeah, it's Corey Smith, C-O-R-I, but the S is a five. So it's Corey Five Smith. <laughs> okay, Yeah. perfect. Well, yeah, thank you so much. And I'm really looking forward to seeing your interview and your video and your pictures. So much going on. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And just, again, like... Thank you so much for having me. It's honestly, I know you say it's like a privilege for you, but it's an honor for me. And um, I, I really do. I feel honored to kind of be one of the first, you know, yeah, men with Endo to kind of just be coming forward and just talking about it and putting it out there. And I'm glad that you're providing the space and the platform to be able to do it. And you do it so right. Everything, the way that you speak is just absolutely you know, perfect. You made me feel so comfortable. Oh, thank you. That really means a lot to me. And it's, you're the first guy on the podcast. So it's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, yay. Well, the first group of us. This is my first official podcast and, and I'm your first guy. So that's, there we go. Yeah, I'm really excited for you. Good luck with everything and thank you so much. Yes, thank you.
So that's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was insightful and enlightening for you. And together, you know, hopefully we can build a community that's inclusive and supportive um, for everyone. As always, if you like this episode, please share it, rate it or review it. Every little action that you make helps others to find the podcast and hopefully helps them to live and thrive with endometriosis. If you want to say hi, I'm on Instagram at this underscore endolife and I'm also on Facebook at this endolife with capital T, E and L. If you'd like to join the book club, um, that's also on Facebook and it is free, by the way, so don't worry about that. Um, so you just need to search this endolife book club. Endolife is one word. Book club is one word. Um, just request access and I'll add you next time I'm on. Um, also, forgot to say at the beginning of the show, the new website is finally live. Um, it took intervention from Chris. Um, I don't think it would have gone live without him, to be honest. Um, I think it's beautiful. I'm really, really happy with it. Um, still stuff to improve and develop over time, but um, you can just find everything so much more easily now. So yeah, a world of living and thriving with Endo at your fingertips. Um, thank you so much for listening and for being a part of this community. I really hope that um, this podcast is serving you. I will see you in two weeks time. Bye.